From becoming an orphan at 14 to being an Emmy Award winner and repeat Oprah guest, Rhonda Britton was the first life coach on reality TV show called Starting Over, where she transformed numerous lives from fear to freedom. Rhonda is the CEO of the Fearless Living Institute, where she personally certifies coaches and trainers through her Fearless Living methodology. As well as being a coach and world-class speaker, Rhonda has four books, including her best-selling Fearless Living, Change Your Life in 30 Days, Fearless Loving, and Do I Look Fat in This? Her legacy is for all of the coaches and clients that she trains to live the life their soul intended. In this interview, you will hear where she gives each of the listeners, yes, you, the listeners, a free gift. And it is called Stretch, Risk, and Die. And if you go back to the show notes, you'll have the link there. It's a, it's a bit.ly link there. So stay tuned to her inspiring journey because you don't want to miss it. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And today, my guest is my, gosh, I don't even know where to begin to describe her. She's my friend. She's my mentor. She's my teacher. She's my coach. Uh, she's incredible. She's amazing. She's talented and beautiful inside and out. So welcome to the show, Rhonda Britton. Well, thank you, Shay. That makes me so happy. I'm so grateful that I fit into all those categories. You know, when you're talking about investing in people, all those categories means that we've really invested in each other. <laughs> yes, and yes, we have. And it's funny, I think uh, it's coming up on three years that we met. Ah, three years, <laughs> that fateful day that we met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny to me to just look back and to see how, so I'm going to give you my version of how we met. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, everybody, hang on. Cause then I'll tell you the right version. Later. Right. Right. <laughs> then you can tell your version. Yeah, absolutely. So here I am in Nashville, Tennessee at a conference on how to clarify my clarify your website. And I'm already, uh, you know, working on my coaching business. I'm already thinking like, I have to clarify my message. I really need to know who, what kind of coach I am. And on the first night, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, Rhonda, but on the first night in my peripheral vision, I saw this woman come into the room and she was dressed in this elegant outfit that was just so put together so cool. Like, you know, she just had the right shoes with the right bag and the right like sweater, a sweater jacket. I think it was, it was just gorgeous. And I was like, Oh, she's interesting. And then that was it. I just looked away and focused on uh, the task at hand. And it wasn't until our last day that I uh, was, well, the night before the last day, I'll back up. Someone had said to me, you know, there's another life coach in the room. And I said, you know, I'm actually really struggling. So maybe I need to talk to her. And they said, yeah, her name's Rhonda Britton. And I went, well, Rhonda Britton, why do I know that name? And they said, oh, she used to be on Oprah. She had her own TV show. And I was like, got it. I know Rhonda Britton. Okay. I know who she is. That's that woman. Got it. That's who that woman was in my peripheral vision. Okay. So uh, the next morning I ran over to you as soon as you walked in <laughs> and you poor thing, you were putting stuff on, uh, on the table, out of your, out of your bag, out of your purse. And I'm like, Hey, 
<laughs> I hear a life coach too. Can we sit, uh, you know, can we talk at lunch? I'm stuck. I don't know about you, but I'm stuck and I could really use some help. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that little pit like when you said, I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and then you were like, um, wait, who are you? What are you? What are you doing? What's your name? <laughs> and you said, yes, let's sit by each other at lunch. And that's that's where it all began. That's right. That's right. And then I at lunch, I did not know that whole story. Um, so, And then at lunch, you came up to the table where I was sitting and you were like, I'm a life coach. And the first question I asked you is where did you go to school? Where did you get trained? And your answer was nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> I do it. I remember, I'll never forget. I'm just going to start coaching. And then if I need training later, I'll get it. And, and you could see like my eyes rolling, my, <laughs> my like, what? No. Right? Like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. No. And um, so then I said to you, well, if you do nothing else, please come. If you're, you know, if you just want to be sure, just come to Fearless Conversations workshop because I teach my eight coaching skills and you're like, okay. And then, you know, maybe we talked a little bit more, but bottom line is I never really thought I'd see you again. (laughs) As you know, you were confident and like, I know what I'm doing. And I'm thinking in my, my head, you don't know what you're doing. But you know, when people think they know what they're doing, there's no talking in talk ta- talking to them about they don't know what they're doing right and then all of a sudden next fearless conversations you come walking in the room and i'm like what <laughs> i you know what i was so proud of you that moment because mm. the 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 willingness to care more about supporting people than having your ego right your your what we call the wheel of fear running you and saying no I know what I'm doing I know what I'm doing like in that moment I knew you're a woman of humility I knew you're a woman that was willing to put again her ego aside her wheel of fear aside to really learn what you needed to do and I also knew that you were a woman that wanted to really be of great service mm-hmm. and so the minute I saw you I was just so moved because a lot of people come up to me and tell me they want to be a life coach. And I say the same thing. Like, where's your training? They're like, I, my friends all say that I, and it's like, no, I'm like, no. Right. And, um, cause everybody thinks coaching is being a friend and it is not, as you know. Right. And what I even loved, of course, even more is that as you can tell the rest of the story about what happened at fearless conversations. Yeah. So, uh, we're in fearless conversations and two defining moments happened to me. And I know that we're jumping right in, but who cares? We're just going to jump right in. Um, two, two defining moments. And I think it was literally within, it's a two and a half day workshop. And within the first probably two and a half hours, one thing that you talked about was dirty coaching. And I was sitting there listening, like, what is she talking about? What What is dirty coaching? And so I believe I asked and you really described it in a way that went, oh my God, that's exactly what I've been doing. I have been dirty coaching this whole time. Now, I will tell you the reason why I really wanted to attend your workshop is because I had hired a coach to help me with my coaching business, to help me with my coaching practice. And he had said, you don't need a certification. It's all good. You can start from where you're at. We'll go through all your skills and tools and allow you to uh, create a program to allow you to coach. When you explain what dirty coaching was, it was really about consulting, telling the client your opinion and your advice, not asking them questions, empowering them to move forward, to make their own decisions. You were uh, dirty coaching is really about the coach. It has nothing to do with the client. 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. You got it, girl. You got it. Yeah. And you said there were two defining moments. So that was one. Do you remember the second? Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm so glad that you asked. And, and really, I just want to pause here before I even answer. So the second defining moment, you know, Ron, I have to give all the credit to you. You developed Fearless Living Institute. You developed this community. And it is so welcoming and loving and supportive that the whole time in that two and a half hours, mind you, I was sitting there, I felt like I was in a hug. And if you have ever been going, and if our listeners have ever been going through life feeling like they've been unsupported, whether it be from their family or their workplace, then you get when you are supported, you're like, well, this is new and unfamiliar. And yet it feels really good. I kind of like it. I think I'll settle in. And that's literally what I felt like, like, wow, I had no support before. And I didn't realize that until that moment and went, oh. Got it. So this is why I need to sign up. And I think by the first, at least by the first day, I was already like questioning, like, how do I sign up? How long is it? What do I do? And all of that. So, well, I love that you talk about the hug because, you know, you can't, you can't convince somebody of a hug. You know, it's like, you know, invest in people, right? That's the the name of this podcast we're on. Like, how, like, let's invest in people. And I think that people do a lot of false hugging or they talk about hugging. And again, they don't, maybe don't, obviously they don't use the word hugging, but, you know, they use like, we're here for you or, you know, you know, you're not alone. We've got your hand, you've got my hand on your back or again, whatever they say, how they say it. But I really do think that unless you feel it, and unless it's coming from the entire support team, yeah. Uh, and 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 I'll even say this: I know there have been times in my life before I created Fearless Living, before I developed Fearless Living, that I actually thought I was supported too, and because they said the right words, they were like, yeah. they said the right words. So I was like, oh, I am supported, but I didn't trust it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I didn't yeah. go and ask for support. I didn't go and get support from those people. I didn't. When I left that workshop I was at, I didn't go back, you know, mm-hmm. so they said the right things, but they, I didn't feel it right. through their, through their words or, or every time somebody looked at me, you know, I didn't feel it. And so when you tell me it felt like a big hug, that is by far one of the best compliments mm. that I and Fearless Living have ever received. Mm. Well, you've done an, an, a magnificent job of doing so. So thank you. You're welcome. As long as you keep feeling hugged, because that's, I think, I think without that, without that level of safety, you can't go on to trust yourself. You can't go on to shine, right? You can't go on to really have the confidence you need. You know what I mean? So um, I think when we all have that support, you know, from our, in ourselves, you know, that, um, Regardless of what you do, regardless of what who you think you are, regardless of what happened in the past, that that is really truly irrelevant, and and that really is truly irrelevant to me, and it is literally truly irrelevant to every coach that I train. Like that is seriously, I could give a crap. I, I don't care. I don't care who who or what you did in the past. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care. All I know is that you're showing up here, and that means that you're ready and willing. And you're wanting change, right? You're wanting something different than you have. And that's all that matters to me. I love that. And that brings me back around to our first question that we always start off with (laughs) 20 minutes in, whatever, um, is what does investing in people mean to you? 
Oh, well, I think I just almost, I think I kind of answered it is that, yeah. you know, I think investing in people, the way that we work in fearless living and, the, and my fundamental philosophy and my, and my personal belief is that, um, the more that I can embrace my own innocence, the more I can see your innocence, the more I can see your innocence, the more I can see my innocence. And the more that I know that we are not our behaviors, we are not the thoughts we have, we are not our feelings, right? We're not any of those things. Those things are transitory. Those things move through us. But if, but I truly believe that every single person on the planet is here for a reason. I believe that wholeheartedly. I also mm-hmm. believe when I say here for a reason, I believe we have a destiny if we're willing to get into our lane, so to speak, like really fall into, you know, who we're meant to be. And e- even that, even the, the quote unquote, not falling in, right? Or not, mm-hmm. you know, like not going for it and, and going through that, oh, why can't I do it? That too is part and parcel of the path. Like there's no part of the path that is not your path, you know? And so I, I think that the big changes happen when we're really willing to say, okay, I've been walking this path for a while, but you know what? The way that I've been doing, it doesn't work for me anymore. Not that it was wrong or bad, right? It's not wrong or bad. You know, I was an alcoholic. I went to jail. You know, I got DUIs, right? I tried to kill myself. I had a lot of things in my past. Mm-hmm. And, and all of those things, I got to change. I got to decide yeah. to show up differently. I got to decide. And the only way I was able to do that is forgive myself and start seeing my own innocence, right? And releasing the past. And, and no, because again, most of my life, I lived thinking that I had to owe for the past I had, right? Like I have to make up for it in some way. And I think that's how many people live their mm-hmm. life. They feel like they have to make up for who they've been or what they did or what they've said. And um, you don't have to make up for it. You just have to show up, you know, more true to yourself. So investing in people for me is is kind of a dual thing because you can't invest in people without investing in yourself. It's not possible. Right. right. You, know, you can't invest in innocence without giving yourself that gift as well. It's not, it's not possible. You can't tell people to forgive until you're ready to forgive. You, you can't do it. Right. You can say the words, but it won't feel like that hug that you described earlier. Mm, what a beautiful answer. And you're so right. I mean, you can't invest in your in others before you invest in yourself first. And that's why I came up with this because it really it comes from a uh, investing in others comes from a place of overflow rather than obligation. Yeah, and for many people, and I know you know this Shay is that so many people give from a dry well, right? Yes. And that too is part of the process. It's like, it's so funny when, when I hear people say, oh, they're taking advantage of me. I'm like, no, 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 sweetheart. No, 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 no. Nobody can take advantage of you. When somebody takes advantage of you, it's because you're not awake and you don't have boundaries up and you don't trust yourself, right? They're not doing anything. They're just, they're, there's just a, 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 an opportunity before them. Right. And somebody's willing to do extra work or extra whatever to make my life easier, right? To make their life easier. Why wouldn't I do that? Right. So taking advantage of is just a signal, a sign, a flag that says, hey, you're not actually taking care of yourself very well. You're not actually doing what you need to do to take care. Oh, by the way, you probably aren't doing that because you don't know how to speak up. You don't even know what your needs are. You don't even know what's happening. And there and that was me, too, for most of my life. Absolutely. People pleaser plus, right? Mm-hmm. Got a, you know, I'm an A plus student. So it's like, I had plus people pleaser, right? Um, and every relationship I ever had, the men in my life, I, I, I contorted myself f- 
for every relationship I was in, you know, for most of my life until I really started embodying the work of fearless living. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when we, when I say like, well, you, the investment in other people comes from your investment in yourself. I do think that you don't have to love yourself before accepting love from others. You don't mm. have to, you don't have to have it all worked out. The other people will wake you up and the moment, that moment is your opportunity to wake up and then go, okay, wait a minute. I do want to do this differently. And then the investment changes, right? The investment. Now you have to invest in yourself. Cause again, before you're like, I'm a giver, I'm investing in others. It's like, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's only going to last so long. Like, you know, you know, again, right. We're giving from an, a dry well mm-hmm. and it's only in that slap on the face, that heartbreak, that rejection, that disappointment that we're not seen, heard, loved, appreciated is really a call for us, call for you to wake up and to go, well, wait a minute. That's only a reflection of you're not doing that for yourself, right? Right. And, and so whatever you're feeling and projecting onto them is really about you. And so then that's the moment of surrender. That's the moment of choice. That's the, that is the moment that we get to decide. And that decision is ours and ours alone. And that decision comes with, oh my God, I'll have to say no. And oh my God, I have to put a boundary. Oh my God, I have to. And that for many people stops them from actually showing up fully as themselves. And that's heartbreaking to me. Mm. And, and, you know, it, this is why, and this is why I'm so um, committed to this work, because what Rhonda just explained, and, and I know more than likely it'll explain to and, you know, speak to your heart, is that you've gone through something where you've beat yourself up. You had that negative inner dialogue with yourself so bad that you think you might not deserve something good. Because you're like, but I did this. And like Rhonda says, she was an alcoholic. She got a DUI. She tried to commit suicide. Me too. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was doing the same things in an abusive relationship. I, well, I was in my abusive relationship. I made my bed. I had to lie on it. I didn't know that I had a choice. I didn't know who I was being, that I was not giving from an overflow. I was giving from the empty well, like she talked about, out of obligation. I thought that's what I, quote unquote, had to do because like... You said that you loved him, right? Right? Yeah. 100%. Well, I said I loved them, so I guess... You know, I have to suck it up and I have to be more loving. Right, right, <laughs> right. I have to be more loving to get in love back, right? Like, I, I, clearly I wasn't loving enough. Yeah. Clearly. I have to get love back, so I have to be loving in order to deserve that love back, right? And because I said I would stay or because I said I was in love or because I said I would marry you or because I said, now I had to follow through no matter even if I woke up. I can't tell you how many people know they're in a relationship that doesn't serve them, but they just can't let go of that. Somehow they made a commitment to themselves or to the other person, you know, eight years ago, five years ago, two years ago, a month ago, even right. new relationship. People sometimes can't leave. Right. Right. It's like, you only knew what you knew then. Now, you know, more, and now you get to decide. But I, I do find Shay that people have a very difficult time redeciding. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I did. And one of the things that um, really like woke me was when he was in a car accident and I was able to get out. And I thought, okay, statistics show that um, most um, women who are in domestic violence situations repeat it. Yeah. And I said, absolutely not. I will not repeat this. What is it that I need to know that I don't know in order to move forward? 
And that question has just served me time and time again, especially deciding what coaching program to go with. But it was just so crucial. And I want to speak to the Fearless Living Institute, the thing that you've created, because one of the things that I had already started doing before I met you and, and years um, between the getting out of the relationship and really focusing on becoming a coach was I was practicing stepping out of my comfort zone to do new things, to stretch myself in a way that put me in a vulnerable way that I was able to like open myself up more. I understood that I was in that relationship because I was showing up as being emotionally unavailable. Even though I was loving, I really wasn't. I wasn't loving to me. And I had not, I didn't even know what love looked like. I didn't have role models in my life at the time, even my family. I didn't have what that looked like. And so I would, you know, step out of my comfort zone to try new things, to put my, to take a risk, to put myself in a vulnerable state, just so I could learn about me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. It had nothing to do with the thing. It was about what can I learn from this? Yes. And so when I, uh, you know, went to that fearless conversations workshop and you're talking about the comfort zone and the stretch and the risk and the die. And I'm like, stepping out of your comfort zone. I've been a practitioner of that for years. Yes. Sign (laughs) me up. This is exactly like we're total alignment. (laughs) So please tell us about that, that stretch, risk and die and comfort zone. Well, what you're saying makes me think of Bill Grout. Bill Grout is a master mentor, a certified fearless living coach inside fearless living. And when he was doing a program before he found fearless living, he, the program told him to do something scary every day. And so he tells me after, you know, when he joined fearless living that all he was was scared every day. He didn't know how to take those comfort zone stretches, risks and dies, what we call them, and actually turn them into confidence and self-trust and self-acceptance and, you know, more bravery, et cetera, et cetera. So we do stretch, risk and die. We get out of the comfort zone very, I would say, differently than other people talk about it because I'm not into, oh, just be scared. Just go do something outside your comfort zone without a grounding and without you getting the juice, getting the benefit of taking that, what we call stretchers can die. So stretchers can die method, the, 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 the little, the, the tool we have called stretchers can die is really to help you break through uh, and make, and make the changes you want to get, reach the goals you want to, you know, discover the dreams to make the dreams happen that you want. It's kind of like, I always say it's taking your to-do list and putting it on its ear. It's turning it all upside down because most of us have a goal, a dream, something we want to make happen. And we do it through tasks, right? One, two, three, one, two, three. And, you know, we got our list of 10 and, and, uh, and, you know, then we do one, two, three and we skip four and we do five, six, seven, eight, and then we skip eight, right? You know, nine and then skip 10 and we take four, nine and 10 and put it on the next day and we keep skipping it. And I just discovered working with people over the years that people were skipping the same type of thing and they weren't aware why. And all they would do is beat themselves up about it. Why aren't I doing this? Right. And so I set out to make an exercise actually for a client who was having this very problem with her sales team. She's like, why can't I get my sales team motivated? And I said, here, let me make up an exercise. And um, so basically what it is, is in the beginning, in the middle, excuse me, in the middle, there is a circle called your comfort zone. There's a circle and that next circle, uh, if you think of an archery board, um, you know, the bullseye is the center, the comfort zone. The ring around the comfort zone is called the stretch zone. The ring around the stretch zone is the risk zone and outside the risk zone is the die zone, okay? And um, the stretch zone 
So the comfort zone, I'll just go backwards. The comfort zone is everything you're in your life right now, whether it's comfortable or not. So you're making $53,000 a year. That's your comfort zone. Making 120, that's your comfort zone. Got the kids, that's your comfort zone. No kids, that's your comfort zone. Whatever your life looks like right now. The stretch zone are things you know you can do, but you just haven't done. So things you know you can do, you just haven't done. And this is also, Shay, called the beat up zone. Mm, yes. Right? Because Very things- familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very familiar with that. Yes. Because <laughs> the things we know we can do that we're not doing are actually where we torture ourselves. Yes. Right? Yes. Why aren't I doing this? I know better. I've done it before. What's my problem? Why can't I? I should do. Why is it? What? Right? That's where we're ruthless with ourselves. Yeah. So the stretch zone is the things you know you can do, you just haven't done. The circle around the stretch is called the risk zone. And that is the things you don't know if you can do. You don't know if you'll be successful or not. And outside that risk zone, the rest of the space around it is called the die zone. Mm-hmm. And the die zone are those things in your life that you're like, yeah, I don't want to do those. Uh, I could die if I did that. I feel like I'm going to die. Like that's not happening in my lifetime. Right? So what we do when we create a goal or have a dream or our little task list is when we skip that number four, number nine, and number 10, we're actually not taking into consideration the emotional risk the quote-unquote stretches could die. It takes on an emotional level to actually take that risk, okay? We're just seeing tasks as tasks like, oh, I want to start drinking eight glasses of water. Why can't I do this? What's my problem, right? Or I'm just going to call, I got to get my taxes done, right? Why aren't I getting my taxes done? It's, we, we don't really break those down into the smallest component. And we don't really look at what that doing your taxes means. Maybe doing your taxes means that you have to face that you owe money, means that you have to face the disappointment in yourself that you didn't do it earlier, means that you have to face the shame of going to your, going to a tax accountant and say, oh, I have late taxes, right? Maybe it's going through the embarrassment of going through all your receipts and looking at the budget or not lack of lack thereof that you've had. So people don't think of that. They just go, oh, I should do my taxes. And they don't, and then they don't do them and they wonder why not. And they just beat themselves up. But there's a reason because there's emotional risk involved. There's something that is underneath that, like some, some aspect of that, that you haven't looked at, haven't seen, haven't accepted. And so we just write a bunch of tasks down and don't actually look at like, well, wait, if I call my mother once a week, um, that means she might need me more. And I don't want to get, I don't want her to get dependent on me. So that's why I'm not calling her. Right. Like there's so much hidden, what we call the wheel of fear and wheel of freedom aspects of taking a, a, taking a, a, doing a task, taking an action. And again, we just lump them as if they're just actions and tasks. And then we beat ourselves up that we're procrastinating. In Fearless Living, we actually say, okay, let's put that goal up. Let's put that, that dream up and let's break it down into stretchers can dies. And, and everybody listening right now, I'm thinking, oh my God, I got, I'm not understanding. Oh my God, it's so much. Don't worry. I'm going to give you some worksheets to help you so that you can actually do it yourself. I'm actually going to give you some videos as a gift so that you can learn this a little bit better so you can start doing it. And... Um, and what's really exciting, and I know you know this, Shay, is that when you start taking those stretch risk and dies, when you start doing the things that you've been avoiding, ignoring, procrastinating, denying, et cetera, what's really cool is your comfort zone starts seeping into your stretch zone. 
and your stretch zone becomes your comfort zone, gets, gets, you know, kind of eaten up by it. Like it's part of your comfort zone. Now the risk mm-hmm. zone becomes your stretch zone and the die zone becomes your risk zone. And now you have a new die zone. And this is the way and the pathway to, to the phrase becoming comfortable, being uncomfortable or being mm-hmm. comfortable skin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, thank you for sharing that story about Bill, because, you know, for me, I think that's, most people, when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you're just thinking it's a task, a thing to check off that list. You're not looking at it from the emotional component, like you said, of what am I, what's stopping me from doing it, number one, and what am I going to gain or what do I want to gain from doing it, number two. And, uh, you know, I think that's where we get stuck is what is stopping me from yeah. Yeah. And it's like the skill itself. So let's say do the taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Always paid your taxes and this year you're late and you feel guilty because it's not who you are. And now you have to call your tax accountant and you're embarrassed. You know, so when we're not doing the things that we say we will, either whether it's to ourselves or to others, um, we have a tendency to feel shame about that. Right. And that shame and or blame for somebody else, if we want to blame them, but that shame and blame actually creates a, uh, you know, another layer that we have to get through in order to do the thing that we want. Right. Now we have to get through the shame and blame and, and there is a humility and an acceptance and a willingness to that we must do, that we must give up perfection. We must give up a vision of ourselves. We must give up that, um, oh, I'm this way and that's always the way I should be and I should always do it this way. And if I'm not, I'm embarrassed. Like all of that stuff has to, that will melt away, I should say, not has to, will melt away when you start using stretches can die because you'll start seeing how you're not wrong, bad, or evil, Mm -hmm. or dumb, right, or weak. Mm -hmm. But it's a function of a skill you don't know how to do, you don't know how to do it, or a feeling you don't know how to manage or, or how to express, or a thought that you don't know what to do with because it's ruminating in your brain. So those things are actually taken care of as we start moving into stretch, risk, and die and starting to take those actions. And one by one, we're going to do something to anchor it, which is acknowledgments, which again is in the, in, the, in the gift I'm going to be giving you. You start acknowledging yourself for everyone, and that's building up a new foundation, and that's changing your neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And especially for giving the gift to our listeners. And, you know, a lot, most of my listeners are either been in the military or they're in the military now, or they're in a, a, a place where they're either at a job and they're thinking of something's different, or they're already a small business owner. And so for those of you listening, just think about the stretch, risk and die as, as maybe that's writing that book you've always thought about, or maybe it's that starting a business. If you haven't started, one yet. A lot of times we think that that's something that's, oh, it's doable, but really it's a die. It could be a die for you. And so there's a whole lot of emotional components that's going, you're going, you're experiencing that's stopping you from that. And that's okay. We just need, you know, like um, Rhonda said, you need to acknowledge each step as you go and build up that muscle. That's right. That, that comfort, it's like (laughs) Pac-Man. That comfort zone expands and eats up the the zones. And yeah, and and then you build up that muscle, just like working out, you build up that muscle. And that muscle is in your brain. It's called the neural pathways, just like she explained. That's right. And like going to therapy for PTSD, you know. Absolutely. Admitting that you may have some PTSD, which by the way, 
most human beings have some PTSD, um, but just even willing to go like, wow, I do have some emotional fallout from the military, from my parents, from growing up in this world. Um, the dentist, the doctor, I mean, there's amazing, uh, all the little things that can cause trauma in our lives. And just even being willing to go, okay, you know, wow, what is stopping me from even saying those words? Mm. What's stopping me from saying PTSD? What's stopping me from saying trauma? What's stopping me from even admitting it to myself, let alone admitting it to anybody else? And that very denial, that unwillingness, I always say the feeling that you're afraid to feel is running your life. The mm-hmm. feeling you're afraid to feel is running your life. So if you're afraid to feel weak because, oh my God, admitting I have PTSD or admitting that I have trauma or admitting that I might, right? That might feel weak, right? And it's like, yeah, but I mean, again, logically, we all know that weakness is an illusion. Weakness is actually a deep strength because it allows our vulnerability to come out and allows us mm-hmm. to actually occupy ourselves more, right? Mm-hmm. When we are afraid to be weak, we're actually cutting off our arm, our legs, our part of our brain, part of our heart. We're actually denying parts of ourselves that need that humility, that need that willingness, that need that vulnerability to be alive and awake. Because when you deaden the weak feelings and you deaden, I don't want to feel weak, you also deaden the joy. Mm. Right. So, so you you can't deaden one feeling. That's not how this works. If you're dead one feeling, then you're deading other feelings. Yes. And, and I'm so glad that you, you know, we're talking about trauma. And I just want, um, the, again, the listeners to understand trauma is not a choice that you've gotten, right? Trauma is the circumstance. Something's happened to you. And that is how your brain is interpreting that circumstance is a trauma response. And I, and just like Rhonda said, most of us are walking around not even realizing that we've experienced trauma. And that's really what a lot of the, our conversations on this podcast is about is that you've come through an obstacle, whether it be trauma or not trauma in, in your, in whoever's language I'm interviewing, but they've taken that and they've invested in themselves and then it expanded, it overflowed onto their business, their family, their community. Yes. And so, and I know we touched a little bit about it, but Rhonda, I know you have an incredible stories uh, about your trauma. So would you be willing to, to share that with us? Of course, of course. And, um, you know, uh, you're asking me about the worst day of my life. And, you know, um, we have something called the wheel of fear. And my wheel of fear was not formed the day this happened, but it definitely validated it, right? And um, you're... I was 14 years old. I'll just get to it. It was 14 years old. And I grew up in a little tiny town in upper Michigan, 365 inches of snow. And it was father's day. And my father and mother had recently separated. And my mother, my father was coming over to take my mother and my two sisters. So there's, you know, three girls, two parents out for brunch on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you grew up, Shay, but we grew up, we didn't go out to eat. That was expensive. Five mm-hmm. people. Yep. That was like, like, what are you crazy? I mean, once I, I don't even barely remember a pizza, right? Like once in a while, my father would stop and get a pizza, but really that's, that's the extent of going out. So this was a big deal that my father was coming to take us out to Sunday brunch. My mother had actually made a brand new dress for me, white cotton. My mother sewed all my clothes and made my sister's clothes for us. And um, my mother's in her bedroom, putting on her blue eyeshadow Puff, puffing up her beehive hairdo. My dad walks in, come on, come on, come on. Cause that's what dads do. Right. Two sisters are in our one bathroom getting ready. And my mom, my dad and I start walking 
towards the door to go out into the car. My my dad yells again, come on. My sister's still in the bathroom fighting it out. Yeah. And as me and my mom and dad walk out, my dad says he's got to get his coat from the car because it's starting to sprinkle. And so he puts the key in the trunk and he opens it. And I notice out of the corner of my eye that he does not grab a coat, but he grabs a gun. Mm. And he starts screaming at my mother, yelling at my mother, you made me do this. You made me do this. And he fires. Mm. And I am start, I scream, what are you doing, dad? Stop. What are you doing, dad? And he cocks the gun and he looks at me and I absolutely believe I'm next. Mm. And he blinks and I blink and he blinks and I blink. And my mother, she already has a bullet inside her literally with her last breath she looks at looks looks and sees what's happening and screams out no don't Mm. and my father realizing my mother's still alive takes that bullet intended for me and shoots her a second time Mm. and second bullet goes through my mother's abdomen out her back and lands in the car horn and for the next 20 minutes all high here is and then my father cocks the gun again falls to his knees puts the gun to his head and fires now wow I am the sole witness to my father murdering my mother and committing suicide in front of me. And I'm 14 years old. And, you know, I don't know how anybody else would respond, Shay. I don't know how other people would have dealt with it, but this is what I did. I blamed myself. Mm. I mean, I was the only one out there that could have physically stopped it, right? I I didn't grab the gun, right? I I didn't jump in front of my mother. I didn't even kick my father in the shins, right? I, I did nothing heroic, right? I just screamed, stop, stab, stop. But I did not know action, right? I didn't, did nothing to stop this fate. And now my mother's dead and my father's dead and I'm standing. So that day I, I, I basically split into two. One part of me was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm, I'm Finnish heritage where we suck everything up. Like we don't feel, and you know, and we have Sisu and we have grit and we just like suck it up. And the other side of me went into, it's my fault. And you never get to be happy again, Rhonda. Like you don't get to be happy if you didn't try to stop your dad from killing your mom, you don't get to be happy, right? So for the next 20 years, I, um, on one hand, the half of me, straight A student in high school, went on, got a scholarship to college, pretended I'm fine, acted like I'm fine. But inside, I would go to bed feeling like there is something seriously wrong with me. And mm. Went to college, found alcohol, and started drinking. Amazing. Don't have to think any when you're passed out, right? And so I started drinking, became an alcoholic, ended up getting three DUIs, tried to kill myself three times. And um, because dying was really the better alternative to me than to live inside this dual hell, right? Pretending yeah. to be okay, right? And, and not okay at all. And um, I remember the third suicide attempt. That's when... That's when I realized something. I realized I'm not good at killing myself and um, I got to find another way. Now, I do want to say, I do want to preface this now that those 20 years that I, you know, being the straightest student that I am, I tried to help myself. I went to therapy. I went, went to workshops. I read books. I mean, I was reading self-help books when I was 12, you know, mm-hmm. I was doing everything I possibly could think of. Just kind of like what you said earlier, Shay, about how you were trying so many things to help yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I did, again, therapy, workshops, 
shamanism, energy work, you know, cognitive therapy, you know, you name it, I did it. Mm-hmm. It was all good skills and tools and I appreciate it and I respect it and it was awesome and it was inspiring and motivating, but it didn't fundamentally take away my feeling that there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And after that third suicide attempt and I realized I had to figure this out. I had to, I remember saying to myself, I have to start over. And that day I said to myself, well, if I have to start over, what do they do in kindergarten? And I said, well, they give you a calendar and gold stars. So I went and got a calendar and gold stars. And I started keeping track of anything good I did because at this point I knew I couldn't keep living the way I was, but I also didn't know if I really deserved right to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And so I said to myself, I have to prove to myself that I am worth living, right? So I kept track of any good thing I did. And I'm talking good thing meant I got angry and didn't break anything. Like that's the level of where I was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after 30 days, I had a calendar with gold star, a full of gold stars, and that was the beginning. And so I started that exercise. And then the preceding exercises I created were things I did out of my own desperation and, and never thought of doing them as fearless living. Of course, never thought they would help anybody else. Never, never thought, never thought of anybody else period, because I I just was so embarrassed because I was so screwed up therapy and workshops and books didn't help me. That's Mm -hmm. right. So when this, these exercises I started creating were started working, um, uh, you know, shockingly to me, people started noticing and they started asking me about it. And um, like I said, I was embarrassed that I had to do this. And I'll never forget, I'm, I'm leaving church one day and this couple runs out of the parking lot, you know, runs, chases me down the parking lot and says, what are you doing? And I said, nothing, 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 because I'm embarrassed, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, come on, you're different. You're different. What are you doing? And I'm like, uh, 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 uh. And they finally, you know, kind of nudge me enough where I'd give them an exercise. I go, I'm making up exercises. They're like, what? And um, they go, give us one. I was like, okay. And, you know, with a lot of like, well, it's not going to work for you. You know, and um, so I gave them one. They came back the next week and said, it's working. Give us another. And I was like, what? Wow. And, And it took me years. It still took years for me to actually believe that this was for anybody but but really, it was only when I started understanding how fear worked and, and creating my own way to work through fear that that feeling I'm not good enough went away. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't have this feeling there's something wrong with me, right? I don't have this feeling that, that I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't have that feeling. And, and that is a miracle to me. That's a, that's a miracle. Yeah. Um, so that's what Fearless Living has given me. I, I created it to heal myself and to give myself, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted the right to be happy if I was, if I had to stay alive. Yeah. So that's, that's how I, uh, through the work of fearless living, again, not called fearless living at the time, of course, but through the work of fearless living is how I started seeing how the world really works, how we really work as human beings and started seeing all the places in other people's work that it was broken. Like it didn't go far enough, right? It didn't connect all the dots, right? And so that's how I feel, what I feel like I did for me. This is for me personally, other people, other work, awesome. But if, but, but for, for me, the work that I did of other people's work just didn't tie all the knots together. I want to say just did not, it, it didn't make it all make sense. That's right. what I- best right so i just want to unpack 
because you gave so much uh, <laughs> amazing story. When uh, at 14, you become an orphan. Yes. And I know uh, that if the ones who are listening who are in the military, they've been through, they've witnessed someone, you know, not make it, or they've witnessed someone get in, extremely injured. Um, and maybe it's other people who have witnessed their loved ones, you know, uh, pass away. Uh, I have myself. And when you have that mindset, like you said, of the, I was blaming myself that I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I was ashamed of what happened. Yes. That, you know, that takes such a toll on you, not just emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, everything. And, And I love that you really talked about how for 20 years you were functioning because I, yeah, yeah. Because I, I held down a job, drank every night, but held down a job. I mean, yeah, I was a totally functioning alcoholic, and and would tell people, argue with people that I don't have a drinking problem. Sure, yeah, and and I want people to to really understand that that you can go through something very traumatic like this, and you can be beating yourself up and and you know feeling mm-hmm. blaming yourself for not doing anything and feeling ashamed. And you can function and yeah. still think, I will somehow miraculously be okay one day. And yeah, right? And the, the key is, is that she made a new choice to take action to find the best exercises that worked for her. Well, it, it's not even that I found them. I made them up. Yeah, I made them up like I, I it, through the experience of creating those exercises. What I realize now in, of course, hindsight is that what I was doing was really trusting myself, mm. trusting myself on like when I would say to myself, well, how am I going to do this? And then exercises would come forth and it would be a crazy exercise. You know, it'd be something like, you know, I'd never heard of anything like this before. It's like this feels crazy. But I trusted some I guess I, I guess in my desperation right? Because suicide wasn't working. And I remember the day that I woke up that third, third time. I remember because, you know, I was a God girl ever since I was a little. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, and, and by the way, when my parents died that day, I was like, well, God, I really thought God was testing me. Cause I just, I just said that I was going to be a minister. So I was like, mm. God's testing me. So this is all my fault, right? This is God's mm. testing me. And I remember saying to God, you give too big of tests. I love you. I never got mad at God. Mm-hmm. I, still loved God, but I had to put him aside. I had to put him on the other side of the wall, right? Because I couldn't take any more, any more people dying. I couldn't take any more, I couldn't take any more tests, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when I, um, when I started making up those exercises and, and, and woke up that third time, I remember very distinctly thinking to myself, I'm not meant to die. Mm-hmm. I'm meant to die. I'm meant to live. And it became kind of like, a, well, if I'm going to live, I can't keep living like this. I remember that so distinctly. I cannot keep living like this. Yeah. And so I think, I think people, you were talking earlier about people that have gone through trauma or seen their loved ones or, or suicide or, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, um, there does have to become a moment because you can, you know, you can live your life making through like putting up with and just dealing with it and blaming yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to decide 
that that's not okay with you anymore, right? I, I remember so distinctly saying to myself, I remember being in my little studio apartment when they let me go from the psychiatric ward because I got evaluated because it was my third time. Mm-hmm. They let me out, said I wasn't crazy. Yay me. And just saying, like, I can't keep living. I, I, if I have to live, I cannot keep doing this. Yeah. And, and so I... Knowing it's almost like knowing death was no longer an option. Mm-hmm. Um, I surrender to figuring out how to live. Mm. I think when when the pain isn't when the pain is just like on a scale of one to ten, and you're suffering and pain and frustrated and doubting and all those things, like and you're not a ten, it can be easy to kind of put up with a three, you know, put up with being a five, you know, put mm-hmm. up to like you know, right? You can and you can kind of put up with it and think, well, this is the way life is. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that's not the way life is. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the way life is until you make a new choice, you know, where Shay, where you were going with a new choice. That's the way life is until you make a new choice. Once you make a new choice, life doesn't have to stay a two or a five or, a, you know, an eight, right? It doesn't have to, doesn't have to stay mediocre. Right. It doesn't have to stay, well, this is the way it is. Because that's the lie fear tells us. Oh, this is the way it is. You're an orphan, Rhonda. You know, nobody helped you afterwards. Nobody mm-hmm. paid your bills. Family didn't come. Friends didn't come. Nobody came. And um, so, you know, from the day that they had happened, it's like me and my sisters, my, my mother didn't have insurance on our mortgage. We had to pay her mortgage. We had to pay our food. We had to buy books. We had to, you know, I mean, we had to do whatever we had to do. We had to get the money to do it. Mm-hmm. We all worked. And, um uh, you know, so so I think there has to be decision and a hope yeah. and a willingness to say, I'm not willing to settle any for anymore for my life just being okay or not good or just good enough or this is the way it is. Like those words are all fear based. That's, that's not real. It's not true. And we've all bought in. I mean, I know I bought in for 20 years. I bought in. I bought into that for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the, the, the moment what you were just about to say, Shay, and what you started saying about choice is I had to make a choice that day when I was in my studio apartment. I had to make a choice. And that choice became, I'm not willing to live like this if I have to live. Mm. Absolutely. That's the choice you, you made. And I love that you made it because of what you've created. And for me, I'm, I'm just reflecting back on my own story is that for the first I, the way I say it is the first 34 years of my life, I was just surviving. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I had to make a decision to start thriving. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even know what that meant, but I, I wanted it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that it was the complete opposite of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And you have really just created such a, an amazing um program and support system and, you know, a legacy for yourself, but for everyone that it touches. And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, well, what is coaching? What is this certified fearless living coach? And how do I know that that would be something that would be right for me? What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd say is that if you're having a nudge in your heart, a tug in your heart, if you're like going, wait a minute, fearless living, becoming a life coach, um, then I would, you know, I would just be attentive to that, right? You don't want to snuff the flame. You just want to let the flame burn a little bit to see where it leads you. So that's the first thing. 
you know, when we're in, when we're in our mediocrity, when we're in the, well, this is just enough, this is good enough. You know, sometimes we, we try to, you know, kind of douse the flame, so to speak. Right. Um, and what I invite you to do is just honor that it, there's some little nudge there. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that um, when anyone asks me, like, should I become a life coach or am I meant to be a life coach? I always ask three things. One is, do you want to give back? Do you want to contribute to others? Do you want to make a difference in this world? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is do you value education? Do you value going deep, right? Um, Because our program definitely isn't for those that want a weekend workshop. Like, you know, Shay said the story, right? She's like, I'll just coach, right? It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) And we have to we have to embrace it and understand it in our own lives as well as for our clients. So th- there's work to be done, right? There, if you love education, if you love to learn, if you like to make an effort, if you like that, like, you know, um, you know, that, that, you know, like, you know, I mean, every military person out there knows this, like you, you make an effort and it feels so good, right? Just, mm-hmm. yes, the, the, the success is sweeter, right? Um, if that's something that matters to you, um, then your that's a, that's a two yeses, and then the third one is: Do you find that people come to you and tell you secrets, or they mention that you're a good listener, or people when you're strangers tell you things? Right? Like, are you somebody that inherently people? on some level trust, whether it's a little trust or a big trust, that they are attracted to. And again, you don't necessarily have to have number three, but it is sometimes a signal that you already naturally have the, the energetic for supporting others, for, for being of service, right? To, to, to care for them in a way to help them care for themselves, right? So those three things are, are, are what I would say that, huh, if, if you got two or three of those, and if you've got all three, then yeah, coaching is probably a really good uh, fit for you. Whether it's some coaches become coaches because they have a position, you know, they have a leadership position, uh, they're, whether in military, whether in corporate, whether they're a small business owner, and they just want the skills in order to lead their team and lead their colleagues, right? And lead their peers. Some people become coaches because they really want the skills to become a better parent. We have totally people that come in for parenting alone. Mm-hmm. And then there is another aspect of people that become coaches that really want their own business. They want, whether they call it, you know, quote unquote, a second job, a side hustle that they want to start using their skills and talents and eventually retire or give up their main career and then move into coaching full-time. So some people do coaching full-time, some people do it part-time on the side for, for years. So, you know, you can really, the skills are the skills are the skills and it's going to impact every area of your life, whether it's your personal, whether it's your professional, et cetera. Now to step back for a minute, because that's what I would, I want you to know about life coach certification program for fearless living but there's something that comes before that and that is this fearless living for you because we don't take students unless they're actually practicing the tools of fearless living because when you do fearless living you will know immediately whether becoming a coach is for you like you like i always say you know take start start doing the work of fearless living and i always tell people within the first week two or three max you're going to be like oh my god i want to be coach i want to do this right so you know, what we have is we have something called a prerequisite. So we have you take the, what's called the fearless living training program so that you can actually embody the work and start practicing the work yourself with the support of one of our coaches so that you can start like going, oh yeah, this is how it works. Because again, doing the work is going to give you a very strong yes or no if you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So doing the work of fearless living not only will help you love, heal, support the people in your life. More importantly, what Shay, I start, we started talking about is the overflow. You will start actually not only no longer feel a dearth of overflow, you're actually going to start understanding not only what it feels like to have a consistent overflow, but more importantly, how to create an overflow at will whenever you need it. So, so true. And, you know, it's funny. I asked you that question and I literally had no idea what you're going to say about, <laughs> about um, what, what are the signs of if you should do this or not. And as you're talking, I'm like, yep, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. And uh, yeah, everyone tells me their secrets. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm glad that I'm in the right place. I'm glad that I'm do the uh, be, be am a certified fearless living coach and trainer. And um, Rhonda, you're 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 just such a joy to be around, and just such a blessing to so many people. And I know that this is your life work. And so, would you, um, with that being said, what would you want to be your legacy? You. I want my coaches, you, I want to create, I want to create a world, uh, fearless, what I always say is a fearless world that each of us has the skills and the tools to see their own innocence, to build their confidence at will, to make choices that empower them, to live the life their soul intended. You know, that's our, that's our motto here is to live the life our soul intended, not our ego intended, not fear intended, not what sounds like a good idea to your parents intended, but what you came in here to do, what to fulfill your destiny. So, um, so my legacy is, you know, the more coaches, the more those coaches impact the people in their lives and worlds and clients and those clients impact their families, friends. So, you know, they say that every single person impacts a minimum of a thousand people. Mm. And so, Shay, you're impacting a minimum of a thousand people. And now with your podcast, you're influencing more. And each person, every single person that's listening to us today, every single person that's hearing our voice, the vibration of the energetic literally just listening to us is shifting and they get to make a choice whether to continue that shift or whether to shut it down. Hmm. And if they choose to continue to live on the vibration, you know, to really embrace what we're talking about, even if they, you know, go and get the free gift and just, you know, just start taking that, just start understanding at that concept, that's already going to start changing the neural pathways. And then for those that are attracted to really understand fear and help themselves get fearless and and their loved ones, you know, parents always say to me, how do I make sure my kid doesn't have fear? And it's like, well, your kid's going to have fear. You just want to know how to help them manage it, master it, get comfortable with it so it doesn't stop them, right? Right. It's part of our neurobiology. So the legacy that I want to leave is that people felt more loved, more accepted, more true to themselves Mm. because they met me. Mm. Well, because they with me. Yes, and I have to say, I definitely do for meeting you. So thank you for that. And um, before you go, uh, how do people connect with you? What's your website? And um, I know that you have a, a fearless, is it Fearless You on Facebook that they can find you as well? Yes, Fearless You Group on Facebook, Fearless You Group. So go over to the Fearless You Group. Uh, so make sure it's the group, Fearless You, Y-O-U. And if you want to grab a free gift, go to fearlessliving.org forward slash risk, R-I-S-K. That's fearlessliving.org, O-R-G, forward slash risk, R-I-S-K. And you're going to get access to my course called Stretch, Risk, or Die. It's got to have worksheets in it. I'm speaking to a small group uh, in a corporate corporation. So you're going to hear me give a talk to corporate 
corporate, to a corporate group. And uh, again, they have worksheets. I explain stretchers can die. But I also, in, in the third video, there's just three short videos, 15 minutes each. Um, I also explain the Wheel of Fear. So I know I, I've mentioned it a tiny bit today. So you can actually go and learn that. So fearlessliving.org forward slash risk. Go grab the free gift and go to Fearless You Facebook group if you want to join our community on Facebook. Mm. Thank you so much, Rhonda. And your time, your effort, your energy is just always so appreciated in everything that you do. And I'm curious to know, I always leave with this question, is there a phrase, scripture, or mantra that you're living by right now? Oh, live the life your soul intended. Mm. Yeah. For me, you know, right now we're in the middle of... uh, uh, launching our membership called Fearless Y-O-U, fearlessyou.com, fearlessyou.com, fearlessyou.com. And, you know, with everything I create in there, every course I create, every worksheet I create, um, it, it really is bringing home live the life your soul intended. Uh, because lots of things stop lots of people and it all comes down to fear. And But people have unique ways it shows up. And so I'm creating a whole place that you can go and really find the resources you need, regardless of whatever you tell yourself, whatever your story is, right? So yeah, so that's fearlessyou.com. So that um, right now for me, just at a deeper level, I'm embracing live the life your soul intended. Mm, Beautiful. Uh, Well, thank you for being here today, Rhonda. Thank you for having me, Shay. This was amazing. And thank you for the overflow, for the overflow, for helping people see that the overflow matters. Mm -hmm. It does. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Be fearless. Hey, don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.